Planetary Radio is public radio's only weekly series about space exploration. I'm Matt Kaplan, and I hope you'll join me as we explore Mars, look for life in the universe, and fly through the rings of Saturn. We'll talk with the men and women, scientists and dreamers who are guiding us to a future beyond Earth. And don't forget to enter our weekly space trivia contest. That's Planetary Radio, Mondays at 5.30 p.m., right here on KUCI. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. If you don't know Mari, let me tell you a little bit about her. She's a local attorney and privacy consultant and is the author of several books, including Safeguard, Your Identity, and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in our county. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on TV on Dateline, Investigative Reports, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC News, The O'Reilly Factor, Geraldo, and lots of others. She's presented her own 90-minute PBS television special last year, and it was called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age, and they still air it from time to time. To learn more about this show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Evening, Mari. We have a guest on tonight, Lloyd, who you know and I know, and she is one of the top privacy experts in our country and one of the top people who we really appreciate and enjoy. This is, we're going to talk tonight with Joan McNabb, who is the chief of the Office of Privacy Protection for the California Department of Consumer Affairs. And do you know that the Office of Privacy Protection in California was the very first office of its kind? And I know recently they've got one in Wisconsin, my old alma mater, as I was a badger. But but really, Joan has been the leader in the country. So, um, actually, the Office of Privacy Protection is a resource and advocate on identity theft and other privacy issues. In addition to providing information and education for consumers, the office also publishes privacy practice recommendations, and they do this for business and other organizations. And as you know, I'm, I'm so privileged and so honored to be able to sit on the advisory board there and work with Joan, who is a mover and a shaker. Um, she is also the co-chair of the International Association of Privacy Professionals Government Working Group, and she's a member of the Privacy Advisory Committee to the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. This is a very important spot for her to sit because she has to bring that information about w- what privacy concerns we have with all the new homeland security issues. Joan is also, um, before starting up in the privacy Office of Privacy Protection, she had over 20 years' experience in public affairs and marketing, and she is terrific at both. And also, she spent five years with an international marketing company living in France, and that was a really exciting time. And she speaks French. Um, her marketing background and all of her uh, savvy about public affairs and consumers gives her a great understanding of the commercial issues as well as the personal issues, the consumer issues regarding um, all the types of privacy issues that are of great concern, especially in our state. So we're so lucky that we have her not only in this state to help us and protect us, but here tonight. So welcome, Joan. How are you? My goodness. I'm just fine, Mari. Hey, I didn't know you were a badger. (laughs) I was a badger. I went to the University of Wisconsin as an undergrad. Yes, I was. You know, we we recently had uh, two of the the staff from the new Wisconsin Office of Privacy Protection spend some time with us to come to some of our training sessions and sort sort of follow us around and and learn from us. And we've had a great time with them. We even had a comparative cheese tasting. (laughs) 
Well, they are the cheese. Oh, gosh, that was the best thing about going there is going around and getting all the delicious Wisconsin cheese. <laughs> yeah, well, it was good, but we thought ours was pretty good, too. Yep. Well, you know, they had the best trainer, that's for sure. Now, are there any other states that are developing, that you know of, that are developing an Office of Privacy Protection? No, these are really the only two that that have uh, a state agency whose mission is protecting consumer privacy. There there have been a couple of states, I think Minnesota and Hawaii, that have had sort of a government privacy component of their public information office. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's, sort of like, it's kind of the reverse side, but, but Wisconsin's um, law is exactly modeled on ours, and it gives, it gives the mission of recognizing identifying problems in consumer privacy and recommending practices and assisting people with with privacy problems. Well, that is fantastic that you're teaming with them, and I'm hoping that other states will follow suit. So, you know, yeah, you know, I remember when when the office first came into being, it has really evolved, and, and you've actually been able to get some more funding for it as well. Tell us about the evolution of your office. Yeah, we were we were very pleased when uh, a year ago um, the, the governor doubled our budget, which turned us from a tiny little operation of four people into a, an enormous operation of eight and a half. All right, <laughs> and and that means that we can we've in fact taken I think more than fifty percent increase in the number of calls and emails and questions that we were able to handle, and we did twice as many uh, educational workshops last year as we had done before. So uh, we've, we've been real busy since we got a little bit bigger. And you've even had the governor at the Identity Theft Conference this last year, and that's, that's really something that he yes, came he and, and the Federal Trade Commission, uh, the mm-hmm. head commissioner, so that's fantastic too. Well, identity theft has become you know, such a problem that, that I think law enforcement and the general public have become aware of, of how unfortunately easy it is to commit and how hard it is to investigate and prosecute. It's, in fact, about half the calls that we get are about identity theft. And and I think our state, obviously our state has the best identity theft legislation, and I think a lot of it has to do with your office really helping to support that legislation and help to create that legislation. We, we, we do have um, probably the, the best set of laws that give identity theft victims' rights and, and tools so that they can you know, get themselves out of the mess. And, and also, we have a number of pretty good preventive measures, and many of our laws were copied by the federal government and put into um, the Fair Credit Reporting Act, sometimes in a slightly weaker form, but they you know, picked up on the things that had been working here. You know, I think the, the really wonderful thing about, about your office as well as being able to talk to people is that you have a fabulous website. And I'd like you to tell our audience a little bit about the website. And, and those laws that we've created are right on that website. So why yeah. don't you tell them the website address and what we can find there? It's, it's www.privacy.ca.gov. Uh, what we tried to do was make it easier for people to find out what their privacy rights are. When, when we started up the office, uh, it, it, it took me quite a while to find all the various state and federal privacy laws. They're, they're all over the place. It's not like there's the privacy code and there they all are. You find little bits in the civil code and some in the financial code and some in the health and welfare code. They're all over the place. So we've gradually found them uh, and and put them all in, on a privacy laws page on the website with links to the actual text of the laws and organize them kind of by, by topic. So that's one of the actually very frequently accessed parts of our website. In addition to that, so that's kind of the library of laws, uh, we have a lot of information directed to consumers. We've got a, a number of our own consumer information sheets, and, and there, there is there's good consumer information available in a number of places on on things like identity theft, for example, from the Federal Trade Commission, from Privacy Rights Clearinghouse, from the Identity Theft Resource Center, from marifrank.com. <laughs> no, from identitytheft.org, yes. <laughs> yeah, so so we definitely, you know, that's out there. What, what we try to do in our consumer sheets is is to make it make them very accessible and and sh- as short as possible. Uh, just try to get it down to the what to do in a, in a 
in a simple way. So we don't have all the background on why and how it all works, but just sort of the steps to take. And we try to write it at about an eighth grade level, which I think is still a bit high. And you even have them in Spanish. Yes, in Spanish and, and Chinese. Right. And so there's it's consumer information on identity theft, on health privacy, on financial privacy. Uh, w- one of my favorites is the one called Leave Me Alone, yeah. you know, which is <laughs> how to get on the Do Not Call registry and, and take a, a, a whack at dealing with spam. Right, right. And, and stopping junk mail and, and uh, opt out of pre-approved credit offers and junk faxes and all, all that sort of thing. Yeah, you even have like how, how to read a privacy policy mm-hmm. and you about just, you know, protecting your social security number. Mm-hmm. You have fabulous consumer sheets there. In fact, you even have one on protecting child's privacy online, which is what we did a show last week on. And and we're we're developing some more materials uh in in on that topic on the whole issue of of what parents should be doing to protect their children in the online world, and we're developing some new materials because we're going to be participating in the Governor's Cyber Safety Summit coming up on October 18th, which will be held in Sacramento, and it's, it's our mission in this summit is to provide training and information on the safe, smart, and legal way to surf the net. So we're not saying it's the online world is a dangerous place because, you know, it's so much fun for all of us. There's right, so, right. It's such a wonderful resource and a, and a great place, and we know that kids are very smart about how to get around on it, but they aren't always real smart on how to protect themselves. So our, our summit is going to have a, a lot of, of individual training opportunities, of, of workshops for parents, for educators, who are really challenged with dealing with, with many online issues in schools because, you know, it's a tool for the kids at school and what's an acceptable use for kids in school and how should how should the schools be dealing with, with the social networking sites and the kind of information that their students may be posting online. And we'll also have training for law enforcement uh, on how to investigate uh, cyber crimes involving children um, and training, training for... Uh, people in how to protect their home computers, how to make sure that that when their children go online that they aren't unintentionally letting in spies and viruses and worms and really trying to bring parents up to some of the technical uh, level that their kids may already be at. Exactly. They're so far ahead of their parents most of the time. Yeah. Now, what's the website for this upcoming program? Okay, okay, the the summit website is... uh, www.cybersafety.ca.gov. Cybersafety.ca.gov. And there they can sign up if some, you know, there are people, we it's have people free. who listen from Sacramento, and it's free. And, and we put this together with a, with a coalition that we've created, the California Coalition for Children's Internet Safety, that includes um, a, a wide spectrum of people, of, of the really leading uh, actors in the children's. Uh, safety education world. Um, our keynote speaker is Mark Kloss, for example, and he has Kloss Kids Foundation. Right. Uh, we've got we've got um, iSafe and Common Sense Media and uh, Blog Safety. We've got also the major education organizations, school administrators, school boards. So it's it's really a, a, and quite a lot of law enforcement, both prosecutors and investigators who work on on children's issues. And I and, noticed one of your sponsors also is NetSmarts, and they were on our mm-hmm. show last week. Yeah, right. So, oh, yes. <laughs> they, they've got wonderful stuff. So there's a they wealth of, of information out there for parents and for schools. And what we're trying to do, partly through the summit and then also through the, the, the website after the summit, is be a, uh, like a one-stop one shop source of uh, of access to those resources. So we're going to have sort of an annotated bibliography, bibliography with links to the sites that have good information for teachers, for parents, for others. 
You know, that's what I really like about your site, too, that after you have some of these summits, you upload to the website the handout materials, which I think, mm-hmm. and you're going to be doing that with this one as well? Mm-hmm. Oh, that is fantastic. So if you miss this, if you can't go to Sacramento next week, then after the 18th, I don't know how long it'll take, but maybe... A little while. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, a, a month later, you can go up to privacy.ca.gov and look at the uh, cyber... What will it be... Uh, called under that it'll be called the uh, there'll, cyber there'll safe be a link to, the, to the cyber safety summit and and then you'll be able to get all the information the, the link will be on our site right and yeah. i know if if anyone else is interested in learning about the identity theft conferences you can you can also go and access it uh, privacy.ca.gov and get the handouts from the previous summits on identity includes, theft including your handout because yeah. you were one of the speakers of our at our identity theft summit last yeah. year and, and the year before a great training program there yeah. for on basic, basic identity theft protection for people. Right. And so there's a wealth of material. You really need to look at that. Now, you know, I have sent so many people to that website who are from other states. Mm -hmm. When they say, you know, when I've talked to people who say, we want some legislation, I said, well, look at Go to privacy.ca.gov, and you can see all of our legislation, and you can copycat. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't have a copyright on what we're, you know, we're trying to propose to have privacy for everybody in this country. So, um, you know, you've really been, you've done a terrific job, John. There's just no question about it. Let me reintroduce you again. So if anybody's driving by and they're wondering who this lovely lady is, we're speaking with Joan McNabb, who is the chief of the Office of Privacy Protection for the Department of Consumer Affairs in California. California, and she started the very first Office of uh, Privacy Protection and, and just was doing some training for Wisconsin. So let's talk a little bit more now about you've been so busy in recent months with all the crazy legislation. You know, I did a search, which I always do to try and keep up on privacy, and, and I did a search uh, recently and found that there were 185 bills introduced into the California legislature just dealing with privacy issues. Yep. And it's, so you were a busy lady. Well, and, you know, I think California has been, you know, we, we, we've been a leader in, in privacy legislation for a number of years now. And I, I think that our citizens may, may be more demanding of, of greater protections and our government has been responsive. So this isn't the only year that there's been that much privacy legislation. And we, and there have been uh, a, a number of, of good ones that have just been passed and signed by the governor. Right. So let's let's talk about those right now and, and tell us what are the really good bills that have been passed this year. And then we can talk about um, what might be coming up next year, too. Okay? Okay. Well, I'm going to talk about a couple of identity theft-related ones first. So one of them is AB 424, is a bill that that has been proposed several times and, and finally got it through this time, a bill that expands the definition of identity theft, the, the definition of personal information in the Penal Code section on identity theft to include business information by, by defining the term person to include all forms of businesses. And interestingly enough, businesses can be victims of identity theft. And we, we've help, helped a couple of businesses that have suddenly discovered that they're getting um, uh, you know, harassed by debt collectors or, or contacted, perhaps, or, or maybe even harassed by debt collectors about business debts that they didn't have, only to discover that somebody had uh, created letterhead that looked like it was from them and gone out and got credit and got debts incurred for the business. And when the business went into the police to try and, you know, say, we're identity theft victims, what do you know? They didn't meet the definition. Exactly. So this this law will will, uh, enable a business in that situation then to go in get a police report of identity theft and begin to untangle the mess of it. And that's really important. We have gotten a lot of people call us, too, who've been victims of identity theft for their own business or their career. We've had doctors. We've had teachers. And even me. You know, remember when I was a victim 10 years ago, the woman was parading as an attorney. So it is, you know, a lot of times people will take your profession and try and work in your name. And then, you know, um, that as well as a whole business, setting up a whole new business, we had a... Um, an 
ophthalmologist who found out that his bookkeeper had opened up an optometrist shop in uh, in about you know uh, you know a few cities away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and getting money and taking money from people. And then of course, what happened to him? He was left with all of the collection bills. So you're mm-hmm. this was very important. So that's a good one that passed, and the, and the governor signed that one. Yes, indeed. There have been a couple of other identity theft ones. One of them is AB twenty eight eighty six by Fromer, and this increased the penalties for some of the most the most really organized and egregious kinds of identity theft. Uh, you know, one of the things that law enforcement has has said about identity theft is that it's a low risk, high reward crime. Right. Um, you know, it's it's easier to commit lower risk than say sticking up somebody with a gun when the the thief risks getting shot himself he's he or she is seen by the victim um, and the average take is about 50 bucks identity theft on the other hand usually the thief and the victim do not come into contact um, and the uh, average take is 5,000 bucks and the penalties for sticking somebody up with a gun are significant and the penalties for identity theft have not been so this is this is a law that has has increased the penalties for a couple of the the really organized kinds of identity theft. On the one hand, somebody who is trafficking in personal information, who has amassed a whole bunch of different people's information and is selling it. So this person may not be using it himself. So he's not an identity thief, but he's an identity tracker. So it increase it, it applies some penalties there. Right. Another, and he can get money for doing it. He can sell the stuff, yes. too. Yeah, oh, yes. exactly. Yes, and, we, and we're always telling people, treat your personal information like it's worth money. And boy, it is. <laughs> it's worth a lot of money, exactly. It is really worth money. Lots more than the lost laptop, usually. You know, we had a um, an identity thief on this show, Ron Hemphill, who was also on MSNBC really? with me. And we interviewed him. Yeah, you might want to listen to that one, Joan. Yeah. Um, and he talked about the fact that he... Had pay. He went to prison, and then now he has a book, and he is also um, has a, a security, uh, I uh-huh. guess, a, a company that does yes. security, and he does training. I've given his name to several people, as a matter of fact. Uh-huh. But anyway, um, what he did, he would go in and pay $10,000 to managers and banks and in the credit reporting agencies. For example, in the credit reporting agencies, he would pay $10,000 for a list of names of people who had... Uh, credit scores of over 750. Wow. So it was worth a lot of money to get that information. So Indeed. You, yeah, so you might want to listen to that. Yeah, he tells exactly how he did it. It's yeah. pretty amazing, yeah. You know, just to diverge a little from legislation, one of the things that, that we recommend as a practice after we say to to people, uh, people who in their place of employment, you know, treat your treat the personal information that you handle like it's worth money. Is okay if you think of it as cash. Would you leave a stack of hundred dollar bills on your desk while you walk next door to talk to somebody? You know, no, right. you wouldn't. Well, that's the way you've got to think of that information, whether it's on a CD or sitting on your PC, which you should be locking up, and so on. So, right. No, you know. it's a it's a really important point what you're making, and and unfortunately, we have unscrupulous employees who maybe aren't making enough money, and so mm-hmm. this is a way to make money on the side. Mm-hmm. So that becomes a real problem for you know for security um, and privacy within the workplace. But that's a whole other issue. So let's hear some more about yep. what's passed. <laughs> okay. So one of the probably most uh, uh, big biggest privacy top topics in the recent month is telephone pretexting. Yes. And so while the practice may indeed, and our attorney general thinks it may, violate various existing laws, uh, starting in January, we will have a law that specifically uh, outlaws, makes it a crime to to uh, take somebody else's um, calling records and ca- calling patterns without their permission. Right. So let's talk a little bit because some of our uh, people might not know what pretexting is. So yeah. let's kind of explain. It's, it's really a form of identity it's, theft. And, and basically, it's lying in order to get somebody's personal information. Yeah. You so know, I can call pretexting up. Pretexting seems like a nice term to me. It's calling up and pretending to be Mari Frank. Right. I called up and I call up the phone company and I say, oh, this is Mari Frank. And, you know, I just need, I didn't get my bill, and I just need to have my records. Right. And, and here's my secret password, the last four dig- digits of my Social Security number, which I could get from, on, on Mari from many sources pretty easily. And then they give it all to me. Right. 
And we've heard about that recently with HP, you know, mm-hmm. Hewlett Packard, where um, the chair of the um, their their board their board had authorized um, some private investigators to look into the phone records. Or we're not sure if she did that exactly, but she wanted to find out who was leaking to, information to the press. And so they pretended to be the members of the board and got their social security mm-hmm. number and used it and was able to get the phone records to find out that indeed somebody was talking mm-hmm. to journalists. So and you know it, that is so ironic from from HP because they have really been a leader in privacy practices in industry. You know, yes, they have, they, and they've they won have, awards for they it. They've won awards, and and you know I have known their privacy people, and they have done a terrific job with their worldwide operations. So I know, and Barbara, Law, yeah, Barbara Lawler was there. Mm-hmm. Of course, now she's into it as the privacy right. officer, but she did a fantastic job of she really did. valuing privacy. So. You know, you're you're not always sure what every other person is doing within yep. your organization, but they are a good company and they do good work. And uh, their new privacy officer is a great guy too. So it's it's very very sad tough that this would happen. Tough to be a privacy officer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. So that's yeah. great that that's going to be uh, that's going to be the law in January first, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Then there are a couple of bills dealing with what I think is one of the most interesting public policy issues related to privacy, and that is um, the issue of public records and privacy. Yes. So it's it's something that, that I think I and many people think that we need to be kind of reexamining. There's obviously a, a significant public interest in a democracy and open government and being able to have access to government records that show what government's doing. At the same time, many government records contain personal information of the type that can be used by identity thieves or that is very sensitive and that the individuals provided to government for one purpose and suddenly it's being snatched up from public records, repackaged, resold, and used in all sorts of other ways. Exactly. And, and combining all these different records also yep. sets up a profile, and, and you can kind of see how much money someone has. If you see they have a yacht and you see that uh-huh. they, you know, their, their public records with their, their, their cars, et cetera, their property, it might make them into a target for something else. And, and uh, among those who are, who, among the many people, and we get lots of calls and emails from people who are very concerned to find their information, even information just like their name and address and phone number on websites. And when we explain about public records, you know, I think they often don't believe us. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're shocked and not satisfied with what we're telling them. And, you know, I certainly understand, and I think that really does bear some rethinking and looking at ways to, to make government open but protect some of the most sensitive bits of information. But among those who are particularly uh, often put at risk by by the, the presence of their information in public are public safety officials, um, judges, and uh, law know, enforcement, police officers. Yes, yes exactly. And th- a law was passed uh, last that took effect last year that that gave certain category of public officials the ability to. Um, demand that a commercial website not expose their residential address information. Right. And now that another law, AB 2005 by Emerson, um, expands the definition of the kind of public safety official that is is included to in enjoying that right to being employees of the attorney general, district attorneys, public defenders, um, federal judges and uh, prosecutors and, and defenders. So... I mean, and does that also include elected officials, too? It includes elected and appointed yes. officials already. Uh-huh. Yes, that was, that was in, yeah. in place before. Right. Although, interestingly enough, many elected officials who, who, whom we've spoken with um, don't f- feel that they, need, that they don't want to do that, that they want to be available to their constituents. Hmm. But others are, you know, particularly with some of the situations we've had with, with, with judges, that horrible oh, case yes, of the terrible. family in Florida. You know, yes, it, it, yes. It, it really is a risk. It really can be a risk. Yes. And, so, yeah, and, and attorneys, too, have been killed, family yeah. law cases. So, yeah, it, it's uh, it's quite scary. So, no, that's that's very good. I mean, it's interesting. You want to have things public, but, you know, there should be a zone of privacy mm-hmm. for someone for their home. And, and mm-hmm. that's it's really hard now when you can even go on a website and I can look at your home on the website, mm-hmm. you know, and find it and find out, almost see what you're doing on it. That's, that's really scary. And, 
and, and many of the websites that are sort of du- have directory information, it's like, it's like, you know, basically phone directories only. There they are online for everybody everywhere. Um, m- many of them do allow anybody to remove their information, but, but not all of them. And, and I remember when Zabasearch had mine on there, and yeah. I, I, that you could not remove it by writing an electronic email. You had to write them I know. physically. Remember that? Oh, yeah, was... first, you, first you send an email, then they email you back and give you a mailing address. Well, I'll yes. tell you what's happened with that site now because we've been, we've been hearing from people a lot about it for some time. Even though it is kind of a portal, you know, it doesn't have any databases. It, right. it leads to others, but, yes. but there it is. And uh, what happened now is the link that got you to the place where they send you the address is gone. Yes, yes. So we're still giving that. the address out to people because we have it from before, but we don't know if it works. Oh, goodness. Yeah. And we've, we have tried like crazy to contact them and cannot get a response. I'll tell you one thing they did do, though, is they, before, if I would put in my name, my phone number that's unlisted would pop up immediately. Now mm-hmm. it doesn't, you know, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And now when I've done it with other people, it doesn't pop up immediately. It doesn't pop up until you take a few more clicks. So at least it isn't like right there, really well, easy I, I to get. I removed mine from from Zaba, and it it, it stayed gone so far. But I did it be, before it, the opt out disappeared. Right, right. So what else? What well, else? Passed? I, I, still on the public record issue. Because oh yes, okay. It's critical. Um, there's another one, SB thirteen sixty four, Batten, and this is about uh, marriage licenses. Now, this has been a concern of the same kind of people uh, often enough. Public safety officials, for example, right, and right. judges and so on, and, and, and others that, until this bill passed, um, until this law takes effect, uh, marriage licenses required a residential address. Well, this law will let you use uh, a, bus- a business address or a P.O. box. Right. Now, you know, when you get married, because, you know, I only got married again five years ago, and you had to give your social security number. Mm-hmm. So your social security number is part of your driver's license mm-hmm. as well. Now I don't know if they did the you know license. yeah the marriage license what did I say driver's license but I, mean, I don't think I don't think it's exposed in the yeah, registry no I don't think it's exposed but it is exposed numbers. I'll tell you it is exposed when you look at some of the other data brokers yes and that's that's really unfortunate but one of the good things that we should bring up right now like the death certificate and mm-hmm. the birth certificate California has passed a law that, that those your social security number which is on your your mother's social security number right. is on your birth certificate. And when the deceased dies, their social security number is on the death certificate. But that's redacted now in California. Uh, on the index. Yes. So, so for, for all the data broker types and, and you know, genealogists, et cetera, who, who want to order the whole registry of California birth or, de- birth or death records, right. then they don't get the social security numbers. If now, you if you're a family per- number, you can get right. it, yes. If you go in person by person, you still can. Yes, yes. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's funny about the, you know, you, you, why, why should, some, why should uh, anybody be concerned about identity theft after death? But that, it's oh. the, the, as you know, cradle-to-grave crime. Yes, as, uh, and we've had a lot of people who's had their identity, their family members' identity mm-hmm. stolen after they die. People look through the obituaries and they get their social security mm-hmm. number. Or, or even Kevin Mitnick, who interviewed me once on a radio show, he he actually stole the identities of dead babies. He'd take the social security number yeah. of the dead babies. So, and, you know, and it, eventually, social security catches up with the credit bureaus, and eventually, it's flagged as dead, but not right away. And if you act fast, like from the obits, um, you know. Yep. Damage can be done, and and it can end up uh, creating big problems for the, the the heirs. Yes, that's what we always tell people. As soon as you have a family member that's died, immediately contact the credit bureaus and tell them, put it in writing, and let them know, and and tell Social Security num- you know, so Social Security, so that they can also take it, you know, take it offline. Mm-hmm. So okay, so what else in the, in okay, the public I'm still records? On, I'm still on the public records. Issue. Good, I, good. I we're biting this off bit by bit. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> there, there are some proposals. Uh, there's a law professor who's got a more comprehensive profo- proposal, Daniel Solove, who's at George Washington. He was University. on our show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, did he talk about his public records proposal? No, he actually didn't. So you got to well, tell he, us, and we'll have him back. He's, he's got a proposal for. Um, uh, Treating the personal information and public records the same way that the Fair Credit Reporting Act deals with uh, consumer credit 
records. That is, yes. having limited access for specific purposes. So there are, for example, title records. Obviously, uh, title companies need to need to go on, go to the the assessor or the the recorder or wherever it is that those records are kept. Yeah. Um, at the county level, to, in in researching title before a sale can be made, and so that's a good reason to have access. And yes, they need to get the social security number because they have to. That helps to verify the identity. Right. But but uh, somebody who wants to do it for marketing purposes, you know, maybe they don't get access to that much information. Right. So so, so it limiting the purposes for which the public can have access to certain categories of information in the records. Right. So that, that's his proposal. But another one that we just, another little bite of that that we just bit off in California is SB 506, Pachigian. And this, this is one that um, extends some uh, protections that are currently available to domestic violence victims, that is not having their address in the voter reg records, extends that to public safety officials. Very good. Very good. So, you know, as we know, public records go lots of places. And it's just so easy. You know, before, when you wanted a public record, you literally had to go down to the recording office yes. and dig around and go into microfiches and all that stuff. And and that's the problem is now you can go online from your kitchen and, and access this with a little bit of money. It's it's terrifying. Now, California court system does have a, a, a rule about online access to to lots of categories of court records. So this is not making the records not public. The court records are are many, yes. if not all, if not most, court records are public records. But the the Judicial Council adopted a rule, oh, about four or five years ago, that, that limits online access to sensitive kinds of records like family law, right. um, bankruptcy, you know, that sort, uh, conservatorship and guardianship, li- limits online access to at the courthouse. So you can go down to the courthouse, look it up on one of their terminals, but sitting at home at your computer, you can only get the, the index. You can't get access to the actual case records. Yeah, and in California, we're also lucky because the family law records no longer have the social security number right. showing up like it used to be. Years ago, when I was divorced, it was right on the first page. So, yeah, yeah. so they well, changed you know, that. And, and years ago, you know, 10 years, I don't know when the point was that it began to change, but years ago, a social security number wasn't as useful to someone else as it is now. You couldn't take a name and a social security number out and go out there and, and in 20 minutes, you know, get $5,000 worth of purchases. Was, right, right. Uh, the number wasn't, as, that we didn't have instant credit, they didn't have automated credit checking. It, it, right. It, and, and the longer. social security number wasn't really the link to all the right. different databases exactly. like it is now. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, but but now it is. So to leave, to leave my topic of public records. Yeah. Uh, but before uh, you do, I just want to introduce yeah. you again. We are talking with Joan McNabb, wonderful, brilliant woman who is the chief of the Office of Privacy Protection in the Office of Consumer Affairs in California, and we're just so lucky to have you, Joan. So she's she's updating us on the new legislation for two thousand uh, going into two thousand seven. Right. Yeah, that sounds scary. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Scary. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> so another one uh, that. That sort of com- completes a, a, a good law that we've have, had for a while now is SB 1699 Bowen, and this, you know, we've had a law in place since 2001 that requires credit card receipts to have the credit card number truncated down to the last five. Right. And I can't tell you how many times we hear from people who are outraged because. They've discovered that, by golly, this restaurant or this store has the whole number on the merchant copy. Yes. And we have to tell them, yeah, the law just says the customer copy. Well, now this bill will apply to the merchant copy as well. And it was not opposed by the Retailers Association because it turns out that nobody is going back to the cash register, pulling out the credit card receipts and and verifying the credit card number for any reason. Right. You know, they have an electronic record of the transaction. That's what they need. Right. So, so it goes into the electronic machine, and they don't need the printout that way. Yep. So I, I have, for a number of years, routinely just blacked out the the rest of the numbers on the merchant copy myself, and nobody's ever complained. So, <laughs> and, and, in fact, many of the machines that, that are being used today do it 
do it already. But so now the rest of them. So I'll be very pleased that we'll be able to tell people that since they yes, because they, they worry like about it. that. They thought it well. Why is it showing up in there? And somebody would have access to it more easily if it's if it's on that elect that copy of that printout. So yep. it makes a lot of good sense. And that's yep. it's funny because Lloyd is you know many times when we go in the restaurant he says I thought you said this can't be on there and I said. Well, yes. that's it's on. Notice it's not on our copy. <laughs> he said that doesn't yeah, make yeah, any sense yeah. whatsoever, because yeah. if it was on our copy, we can always shred it. You know, mm-hmm. so it was kind of opposite. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah, Deborah Bowen's done some great stuff, and she's leaving now, isn't she? She's this mm-hmm. end of her term limits. Mm-hmm. So she's up for what? What office is she running for again? You know, I'm not Secretary sure. of State. Is that? That sounds right. That sounds yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, that's a good one. All right. Anything else? A a big issue uh, that we all hear about every day, and I think we hear about in our office every day, is information security. Yes. I I think scarcely a day goes by that we don't hear from somebody who just got a notice that some company they do business with or some agency they do business with has lost their Social Security number in some way or it was stolen or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and while we don't get a lot of complaints about this particular kind of information security, it is an issue that people, a problem that people may not be aware of, and that is wireless network security. So yes, people are increasingly interested in setting up a wireless net- network in their home so that they aren't, you know, tethered to the wall and they can move their laptop around, and you know, it's just much more convenient. Well, there are, are all sorts of risks if you haven't properly secured that network and people driving by they call it war driving yes um, can just just leap onto your your uh, system so ab 2415 nunez um, requires the the uh, manufacturers of the networking devices for setting up wireless access points to include information on when it's, when it's going for a home or a small office um, on how people can protect their privacy, how people can protect the security of the network. I think that's a very good thing. I think we need lots more education for people at home on how they can protect their the, their privacy and their personal information on their home computers uh, to the level that we, we assume that they are protected in their office. Exactly. You know, I have a neighbor who's a computer consultant. He comes and he does our home computer, and a nice guy came over with his laptop, and as he was walking down the street from his house, several houses down in my house, he told me that he he got into everybody's computer around us. So I got on the phone, and I started calling my neighbors, and I said, did you know that that Gary was able just to get into your your computer? You need to put in, you know, because he did it on mine. I mean, everything was blocked on mine, and even when my son came in town and he wanted to use my, my wireless, he couldn't get in without me giving him the password and being yeah. allowing him to use my wireless. So very important. That's you know, pe- people just don't know that, and, and you know, it's it's hard for us all who are not uh, computer experts to, to keep up with all the things that we need That's to be right. doing. But there's, I think, one of the best sources of information on um, protecting your home computer on computer security is is OnGuardOnline.org. Right, onguardonline.org. Very good. Mm -hmm. It's put together by the FTC and the FBI and and other agencies like that, and it's got really good little video versions of information and fact sheet versions. You can take a little test on there, too. Yes. Yes. And and it it gets gets down to good practical information. Another good source for, for practical information on for recommendations, product recommendations even, on anti-spyware, antivirus, and firewall software is on Consumer Reports Online. Yes. They've got, uh, in their e-rating section, they've got some articles, and it may be more recent now, but it's a couple of years old, but as, as ever with, it, with their recommendations, I find that even if the particular product they're talking about is, is not the latest version, it's how they describe what the issues are and what the features are so that it helps you look at even a newer, later product. So they have right. a very good explanation about different kinds of software. Now, is that Consumer Reports or is that ConsumersUnion.org? Consumer Reports. Okay, ConsumerReports.org. I mean, it's the same organization. Okay, yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. Okay, yep. but so it's ConsumerReports.org. ConsumerReports.something. Okay, <laughs> okay, but if you go to ConsumersUnion.org, it will lead you to that, too. Well, or if you just Google up Consumer Reports, you'll get there. Very good. We think okay. it's .org. Okay. What else have we got? Well, that, those are the pieces of legislation that I wanted to talk about. Well, very good. Let's talk about what um, some of the really important laws that have passed 
And, and again, California has led the country. And, you know, one of our laws, the security breach notification law, mm-hmm. you know, when I've talked to lawyers and people across the country and really even the, the privacy commissioner in Canada, everyone has said that our security breach notification law has been the really the most influential law throughout the country. So let's talk a little bit about that and the recommended practices that uh, that you've created that we that we all helped you create on the Office of yeah, Privacy. You were, you were part of our advisory group. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that security breach notification law has really been a good one for consumers in in, in an intended way and in a sort of secondary way. Um, it, the, the intention, if, if if you look through the legislative bill analyses, and as I remember when it was going through the legislature, what, what they talked about was the intention was to give individuals an early warning when their personal information of the kind that identity thieves are after, you know, your social security number, your, your financial account number, your driver's license number, when mm-hmm. that kind of information has fallen into the hands of, of an unauthorized person give you early warning so you can take defensive action. Yes. Put a fraud alert on or freeze your credit files, do something to protect yourself against new account identity theft, which is the most common use of that kind of social security number type information. Let's talk a little bit about exactly this, the simple, what this law says, that if if there is electronic information, if a business... It doesn't say electronic, Mark. Yeah, but... It says computerized. Computerized. So it could be printed out. (laughs) That's what I say. Yes. A a court might agree. If it was spit out by a computer, by golly, Yes. then who's to say it isn't computerized? And certainly our recommendation and our recommended practices is that any organization protect that kind of information the same way, whether it's on paper or digital. Exactly, exactly. So if you have computerized information that was acquired by an unauthorized person, right, Mm -hmm. and it was not encrypted, Right. Then that triggers the duty to notify all potential uh, all persons. All the people whose information yes. that was. Yes. All, yes. 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 Right. To notify them, and then the idea is that then they can take protective steps. And the so, beauty of that is because there's so many California residents <laughs> that if a big company has a breach and there's just yes. one California resident, they pretty much tell everybody. And, and that's kind of how it's worked to set a national standard so that. That no no responsible company is going to decide. Okay, I had this big incident, so I'm going to tell the hundred thousand Californians, but not the fifty thousand people from other states. They can't really do that, right? You know, it right. Not, and, and indeed, long before other states started passing similar laws, many companies that had had breaches and notified people were notifying their yes. customers in other states. Yes. Now, thirty-one states have passed laws similar to the California law. And they and have us to thank, don't they? They do indeed. Well, here's what I think is really great about this law, though. So that's one thing. It's good to know, even if, even in cases where it's perhaps unlikely that the information actually went into somebody's hands, it's good to know that there's a possibility. Because one thing we know about the research on the incidence of identity theft is, is we don't really know how it's happening. You know, more than half the time, right. uh, people who are victims have no idea how it happened. Exactly. So we don't know whether or not it's related to breaches, but I'd, re- I'd like to know if I'm, if I'm at risk. And then if I feel concerned about that, there's something I can do to protect myself. So. Yes, and you have a choice if you want yes. to get your credit reports. And, and if you don't, then you don't. But it you depends have... on sort of risk tolerance. Exactly. But, but I think the really longer-term benefit is it has really focused attention of organizations on protecting information, on how, you know, how slippery this data is that all organizations have amassed like crazy, and it seems to be slipping through our collective fingers a good deal of the time. And so the, the, uh, until this law, organizations tend to look on information security as a cost. That's all. Yes, it's a cost. Yes, it's not yes. a profit center. Well, now there's a cost to insecurity. There's the cost of no, a breach notification. There are hard costs of mailing and staff time, and then there are real bad costs of reputational impact. Exactly. So and, you it, know, it's it interesting. because the investment in security worthwhile from a business sense. 
And, and that's so important. You know, we, you know, David Medine, who used to head the Federal Trade Commission um, identity theft and privacy uh, program, as well as Peter Swire, who used to uh-huh. be the, um, you know, oh, the privacy czar for Clinton. You know, he, even they say, you know, they are in Washington and they advise big companies. And even they will say, even though they, they don't think that we should have that trigger that's as, you know, easy as it is, they still say the big difference is is that now companies are doing exactly what you said, Joan, is they are taking it seriously. They are doing what they can to encrypt or to really secure uh-huh. or do something. So, you know, the beauty of that law, and I remember when it was going through as well, is that there is an out. If you encrypt... Mm-hmm. That's that's your safe button. You that's can an, yeah. You don't have to notify if you encrypt the data. Yep. So and, and, you know that I was really the carrot and happening. the stick. Yeah, that's we've talked to lots of organizations um, who've called us when they're having breaches and sort of wanted us to look at their notices and or, or sometimes we've called them because a, uh, a consumer who got a notice right called us and so we we wanted to. We we would call the companies, or the companies would call us, and and what we wanted to do was you know assist them and in, in, in doing a good job at letting people know what to do, and also find out a little about what kind of lessons they felt they learned from the experience, and what sharing with them what we'd heard from other companies. So on the encryption issue, um, more and more now uh, organizations are using encryption, especially on portable laptops, yes, uh, yes, discs, uh, even even storage tapes, and that was. I think it came as a surprise to a lot of people that we kept hearing about all these laptops and everything. My gosh, that data isn't all sitting back down there in the computer room on those servers. It's moving all over the place, and we need to protect it. Yes, and that. so I really think that, that, you know, the fact that we had this law and that the Office of Privacy Protection was so involved in helping to support that law and then creating those recommended practices, which is, you know, we're saying we're trying to help the businesses to know how to comply with this law. And Actually, what we do in our recommended practices, because our office is education and advocacy, as you said earlier, right. we, we do not enforce any of the privacy laws. We're not right. an enforcement agency, so, nor do we give legal opinions on what the laws mean. But what we did in that case and in, in several other cases is, is we wanted to um, make some best practice recommendations aiming at the intent of the law. So certainly, if you complied with our recommendations, you know we believe you would be in compliance. But with the law, but it's it's way above what the law requires in many cases because we're 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 shooting it for best practices. And when we developed those recommendations, we called together a group of of stakeholders, uh, business people, government people who are affected, consumer and privacy advocates such as you. And, and, you know, get their input on what they think appropriate practices are and what their, you know, plans are for implementing. And, and you know, we, we take that all in mind and we look to the basic fair information practice principles that, you know, really are the guidepost for managing personal information. And then we make our recommendations. And, you know, I'll tell you something. I have given those recommendations and sent people to that website from businesses Mm -hmm. who really don't know what to do with a Mm -hmm. security breach because you even have a sample letter there. And so if you're driving by and you have a small business, maybe you're an accountant, a lawyer, whatever, you're subject to our security breach uh, notification law as well. So it would really behoove you to go to those best practices at privacy.ca.gov and look at those, look at the letter, and you can get a lot of free, excellent information and guidance on what to do. Now, we had another law that was really another really impactful law, which was our Social Security protection laws. So why don't you talk about those? Because that that also we have recommended practices. And and you're right to mention that one right after the breach notice law. I think the two of them together probably have had the biggest impact on changing practices yes. in the right direction. So throughout the country, throughout exactly, the country, exactly, exactly, because because they're both being modeled, and and so the Social Security Number Confidentiality Act, which passed just just before the the breach, or just about the same time as the breach, right, law, right. Um, they both kind of the, the the Social Security one rolled into effect over a couple of years, and what it does is it prohibits the public posting or display of Social Security numbers. So it's it's pushing at the problem of social security numbers as the key to identity theft from the 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 exposure side. Um, so it 
it specifically says that it does not prohibit uh, using a social security number for administrative purposes internally. It just says it can't be publicly posted or displayed. And then it has some specific kinds of public posting that it outlaws, such as printing it on a card for access to goods or services, like your health plan card. And that one has really made a difference all throughout the country because people who had Blue Cross Blue Shield, their social security number was the number. And now, because of California law, you know, when they had to change it for so many California citizens, they, they figured we might everybody. as well change it for everybody. So, and, and again, this is kind of like exactly. they, they dovetail, and everybody else in the country really benefits by these laws that we've passed in California. And, and one, one constant complaint we get when we talk about that from people is, but it's on my Medicare card. Yes, say, well, yes, we can't seem to regulate the federal government from California. And the military <laughs> card. Yes. And and so we have, you know, hopefully, yeah. you know, Diane Feinstein, our senator, will help to get that. You know, she tried to get some legislation. And, and there's definite attention to that issue in Washington. Yes. It's, it's it's being recognized. So, the, the uh, Medicaid, Medicare, mm-hmm. and the military. I know even you know our grandson who is in the Air Force in Japan has his his dog tag has a social security mm-hmm. number on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well, we have another little law related to the military that passed a couple of years ago which speaks to the discharge papers, the DD-214s, yes. which, which have, you know, the Social Security number on it because it's the military ID. And it, the standard advice has been for years when someone's getting discharged is go file this with the county recorder so that it will be available if you apply for veterans' benefits so that, you know, in case you lose it. Right. And when you do that, it becomes a public record. Okay. Yes. So we have a law in California. It doesn't say that it doesn't become a public record, unfortunately, but it says um, that when somebody goes in to do that, that the the clerk or the recorder have to give them a, 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 a document that says, by doing this, you are making this a public record. Oh, goodness. So least, and, you know, our advice, of course, is don't do it. Lock yeah. it up. Put it put it where you'd keep a deed or a pink slip or something. Right. Don't, you don't, you know, hang on to Safety it. Safety deposit box if you have to. Yeah. 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 Well, we only have four minutes. Lloyd just gave me the sign. So let's, let's kind of talk about just one. Could you give us one hint of what might be coming next year? Well, um, I think one issue that we probably haven't heard the last of is, uh, regulation of RFID, the radio frequency identification devices. Right. That's what it stands for, I believe. Um, the Homeland Security Privacy Committee that I, that I serve on uh, is is considering some uh, policy on that on that issue, for example. Um, and and it's it, it's challenging to deal with the privacy implications of an emerging technology. Yes. You know. So on the one hand. Um, what it, what some will say is, well, there, there, this is a solution in search of a problem. You know, we don't. Do you have any? Show me a case of identity theft by RFID, or yeah. you know, or, or something like that. So that's 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 one point that is made. On the other hand, it is makes so much sense to uh, be cautious about the possibility and take some temporary measures before the problems develop rather than the much more expensive and difficult retrofitting approach. Yes, to set up some safeguards. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we had Senator Simidian on our show, and he talked about his RFID legislation, which I know um, it did pass uh, the, sen- the you know both the Senate and the House, but, of course, the, the our governor was not uh, in favor. But hopefully he will bring that back in a way that we can get that passed next and, year. And, and I think there, there are some concerns um, Perhaps in relation to the the upcoming regulations from, on the Real ID Act, we uh, yeah you know, the we federal laws we right haven't seen those those regulations yet. Uh, so you know maybe that'll become clearer. Uh, it's it, it's it's not an it's not an easy thing. No, now we got two minutes left, so I'd like you to give your website again and tell us again about that program next week, so that All you right. can get another uh, commercial in for that. <laughs> I. Thank you. I'd love to. Okay, so our website is privacy.ca.gov, and the, the Cyber Safety Summit, which is about protecting children online and helping them to to surf safe, smart, and legal. I don't think that's grammatical, but it's kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> to to go online and have a good time, but be safe, 
smart and legal when they do it. And this is going to be free in Sacramento on October 18th. You can register online for free. And, and you can all the experts from all over the country, the, the leading uh, industry and nonprofit organizations who work in this area are part of this. And you can go to cybersafety.ca.gov. PrivateSafety.ca.gov, and to get all of these uh, wonderful resources, you can go to privacy.ca.gov and just look at all the terrific things that that the Office of Privacy Protection has there to protect you in California and, to be honest with you, all over the country. Thank you, Joan, so much. we got to have you again next year about this time to update us again. You are fantastic, well, and thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for everything you do, Mari. It's a great show. Okay, thank you. All right, you've been listening to Joan McNabb, the uh, chief of the Office of Privacy Protection here in the state of California, and you're listening to Privacy Piracy. You're listening to 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net to see our upcoming guests and to listen to our previous interviews, download podcasts, even subscribe to podcasts. Go to KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thank you, Lloyd. You're a great engineer, and thank you for joining us. We hope you'll join us next week. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.